0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to share a message with you, Pastor Andreas, has asked me to share. I I preached this not in exactly the same way uh, last week in our local fellowship. But it, it, I want to just give you some context. It comes off the back of similar prophetic words to I know you have been hearing through Pastor Andreas. To prepare, to make ready that, you know, perhaps there's, there's difficult things coming ahead that we, that we need to be ready for. Often these things are good things. You know, if there's something difficult ahead, it means that God is wanting to express himself in victory. That's how God expresses himself in victory in overcoming in blessing and so the difficulty sometimes is the struggle that we have to face to bring those things to bear there's also an expectancy for growth spiritual growth numerical growth for our local fellowship we had pastor john scoltz from the apostolic council of church of the nation's come and minister at our church a couple of weeks ago and uh, just the one sense that he had was alpha and omega prepare for influx And I've been meditating through these things, meditating on some of the words the Lord has been given over the the past few months about coming out of the shadows, coming into the light, shaking off the fear and the doubt, and stepping into boldness and confidence that comes from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God. And as I was thinking and preparing for the message, I was reminded of... A couple in our church, you probably know who they are, Siobhan and Mishka, who uh, who have been married just over a year, a year and three months, really. And um, they're expecting their first child in May. And it's wonderful when somebody is expecting a child. It's a sign of new life. It's it's There's so much excitement for it. everyone who loves and cares about them, gets excited with them. Because it's a wonderful season, as, especially for those we know we've been through it. But he, here's the interesting thing. Our eagerness and our enthusiasm for them is generally expressed through things like, uh, through, the, the way we try to encourage them is to warn them about what lies ahead. Oh, we're so excited for you. This is going to be the best time of your life. Get your sleep now. Because you're not going to get any sleep in a few weeks, you know, in a couple of months time. Eat out while you can. Because you're going to kiss that goodbye in a little while. Uh, this is just going to be such a wonderful time of your life. We just want to warn you. Say goodbye to expendable income. You're not going to have that anymore. And and it's just this thing of, oh, this is going to be a great time. But have you prepared for nappies and for breastfeeding and for bottle feeding and for rashes and reflux and all the other bells and smells that come with this wonderful new blessing? And anybody who's pregnant will tell you the same thing it also our oh, congratulations here's the warnings here's the here's the fine print i'm going to read it out for you here's the disclaimer in other words yes this is a wonderful season but it's going to cost you it's going to be hard it's going to push you beyond the limits that you thought you had it's going to require more of you than anything in your life to this point get as ready as you can and you still won't be ready But it's a blessing and it's a wonderful time and this is going to be great. Now, listen, some people enjoy the season more than others. Some people have it harder than others. Some women struggle a lot with morning sickness, others not at all. Some have long labors, some just sneeze. It's just everyone's experience is different. But the point is that we're all trying to convey is that, hey, major preparations are required for that which lies ahead and the couple knows that very soon their lives are going to change irrevocably forever what they have known as normal to that point is going to change from the moment they fall pregnant they know that their entire mindset has to shift from themselves to a little one and that's in some ways a gradual mind shift because you don't realize what that really means you You grow into that mindset. You you take it on little by little. There's the event, there's the initial, okay, I'm now given to this. But how to work that out, how to emotionally process all of that, how to work it, and, and, and all the practicalities will only really be fully understood once you're in it. And the truth is, folks, that the blessings of this life, the things we often pray for, the things we desire, do not come without significant sacrifice and hard work. They don't just fall on us, like as Pastor Andreas have to say, like ripe cherries off of a tree. And the hard work is not just to attain them, but also to maintain them. You know, that marriage and that that, that partner spouse you were praying for and God has blessed you with and you gotten married. Yeah, sure. There was a lot of planning for the wedding and the reception and the honeymoon. But to maintain that marriage is going to take work and sacrifice. That dream home that you prayed and believed God for, that car that you prayed and believed God for, that he miraculously provided, comes with maintenance, it comes with cost, it comes with continuous work that is unending. That job that you dreamed of comes with great responsibility and sacrifice. Those children you wanted are going to draw things from you. All of these things we consider ourselves privileged to have. But that privilege comes with a burden of responsibility. And what the Lord is saying to us is prepare because there are greater blessings, greater victories, greater things on the horizons, greater challenges that in a very similar way are going to push you beyond your comfort zone, force you to deal with things you haven't had to before. Make you believe me and, and rely on me more than you ever have before and get ready. And you're not—it's a gradual thing, same as with having a baby. And you're gonna do your best, and you're not gonna fully understand it until you get into it. But I'm gonna be with you. I am gonna help you, and we're gonna get through this together. You know, like I said, Pastor Andres has been speaking about times that were coming, and the words he uses are times that will be hard to bear, difficult times at, in in some ways. And it's a confirmation of what the Lord has given us last year and even this year, Isaiah 60. Uh, I just want to read to you from verse 1 to 4. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Not will arise over you. It's not something that's going to happen. The glory of the Lord has already risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Look at those people that are coming to you, not to Alpha and Omega ministries international. Not to Pastor Andreas or Pastor Michael or Stephen or Pastor Frank, to you. Because you are the one who carries Jesus. You carry that light in you. As you go about your life demonstrating and being salt and light in your environment, they come to you. And when these Gentiles, who are Gentiles? It's unbelieving people looking for answers, looking for the truth and coming to you. When these kings, who's kings? People of influence and authority. Who are these sons, the prodigal sons who need cleaning up and nursing, who maybe once knew God, but ran away and made mistakes and messed up and they're going to need cleaning up. And who are these daughters that you will nurse? They will need to be protected and fed and raised because they need to be nursed They're babies. We're talking about a great weight of responsibility. You know, when we, we pray that the lost will come in but we need to appreciate the fact that that is messy. We want babies to come in. They are messy and they're noisy and they're inconvenient and they keep us up at night. They're a joy to have and we delight in their growth. Why? Because it means that they're moving on from those times when things are more difficult. But this is what it means to bring people in. This is what it means to touch people. Our level of comfort and satisfaction in the Lord, in church life, in our experience of faith is going to be shaken up in a really good way, hard to bear, difficult times. But boy, how much life can come through them. Yes, we're looking for wonderful times with joy. Yes, there will be greater blessings and fruitfulness, but there will be lot more, lots more work. And it will require of us greater levels of sacrifice and consecration than we've ever known before. Listen, my testimony is this. I was convinced and thoroughly convinced within myself that I was a patient person. I had patience to wait for things, patience with people. And my father was a very patient man. He was a servant-hearted man. I thought I was a servant-hearted man and a patient man. And then I got married. And my ideas about myself crumbled they went up in a ball of smoke because suddenly i had to consider somebody not now and again but 24 7 now listen my wife is not a high maintenance woman she's not a demanding girl in by any means but having to consider having to put her first all the time pressed me beyond where i had been pressed before and it caused me to grow it caused me to deal with a lot of immaturity in my life And when I thought that I had matured and grown, I had a child. (laughs) I realized that I was still a baby and much more was required of me. Greater sacrifice, greater consecration. And this is the journey of growth into maturity. Many people don't make this leap. They stay in the place of self-centeredness. And we might talk about that a little bit later. The point that I'm making is that every level of growth in our maturity, in our ability to handle responsibility comes with a greater dimension of self-sacrifice. It's going to cost us. The wonderful thing about pregnancy is you have nine months to get ready. And in a sense, I want to say the Lord is that this ministry, that your hearts are pregnant with things right now. Sometimes conception happens and you don't even realize it yet, but God is bringing things to birth and he is preparing a church for the next generation, preparing mothers and fathers, Who will father this next generation of young people that are coming in that, given the society they're growing up in, are lost and deeply confused because truth these days has become a relative thing. And they're going to need mothers and fathers who will love them despite the confusion and yet point them to the Lord and raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, although the weight of the requirement is something, as I said, that is often more felt than felt, I can't prepare you for, I can't tell you everything that's going to be necessary, those who are wise make preparations in advance. They buy the cribs, they set aside the money, they start doing, reworking their budgets, they take out policies, they get the medical aids in place, all the things that are needed, they get ready. And some things are still going to catch us by surprise. Some things are going to catch us off guard. But the better prepared we are, the better equipped we are to deal with them and to make a success of them. You know, it's, it's just the simple truth. Greater responsibility in God's kingdom means higher levels of self-sacrifice. God does not want us to remain in, on the level of influence and productivity for the kingdom that we have been for some time. Now, praise God, we're not where we were. But the sense is that the sense that I have from the Lord, certainly for our fellowship, for my life, for our spiritual family, is that God is desiring so much more. His plans are far bigger for us than we can imagine. But for us to step into them is going to cost us more. We it's very, we, we very easily become comfortable and stuck in the rut of our last breakthrough. And God's saying, well, wow, that was a great breakthrough, but there's so much more. It's going to mean relinquishing of that which I may have. It's going to mean my comfort, my convenience, my time, my resources, all in the service of the needs or desires of another. And this is is not the very picture of what Jesus Christ's life was like. If we look at the Christ him in Philippians 2, I won't read the whole thing, but verses 4 to 7 in the ESV say this, Philippians 2, 4 to 7. Let each of you... Look out not only for his own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the expectation that God has on us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider it or did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. You know, when you think about it, ultimately, a parent is nothing more than the servant to the child. We don't like to think about it that way. But you, from the moment that child is born, are living to serve the needs of that child, to provide for them what they cannot do on their own or for themselves. As they grow, you teach them greater responsibility. And even that, you are serving them. Uh, they grow, you're going to teach them manners, and in that, you're serving them. You teach them skills, you're serving them, because you want them to be everything that they can be. Why? Because you love them. And this is what it means to lay down our lives. This is what Jesus Christ himself epitomized. A couple of weeks ago, God was speaking to me about the word agenda. And let me just explain to you what I mean. You know, he, Well, first of all, he said this. One of the truest marks of a servant is that they do not follow their own agenda. It's not that they don't have their own agenda. We can't kid ourselves. And no matter how spiritual, no matter how sold out we are for Jesus, we have agendas. We have plans. Sometimes even God's agendas can become idols in our lives. We have agendas, but a true servant has is not following his own agenda. He's he's chosen to forsake his agenda to walk out the agenda of another so what is an agenda really an agenda is a plan organized by time of events or things to do agenda is simply a plan organized by time what i'm going to do when i'm going to do it and this is what i'm you know how i'm going to do it really and you can have if any of you have business meetings you'll have an agenda for that meeting so we are calling this meeting for this purpose this is what we want to discuss I have a friend who in this digital age says, hey, if there weren't any snacks, it should have been an email. But the idea is that you you have a purpose for getting together, an agenda. You know, as well as I do, you can have a hidden agenda. You can push an agenda. But at the end of the day, an agenda is a plan. It's something in your heart that you want to accomplish. Another way I like to say it is an agenda is the scheduled program of your will. It's what you want and what you desire to accomplish or to come to pass. And the sobering fact is this. If your primary concern, if the thing that occupies your mind primarily is yourself and your agenda, you're not a true servant. If your primary concern is getting your own needs met, you are not a true servant why because the mark of a servant is that they have taken upon themselves the agenda of another and made it their priority so if jesus is going to be the lord of my life i acknowledge that he has an agenda for me and i have chosen day by day in intimacy with him in following him as best i can though brokenly though Stumbling some of the way I am going to endeavor to make his agenda for my life, my time each moment, my agenda. And that's really what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. You see, we do not serve a God who is oblivious to our needs. You know, when we say this, it's not like we're serving a God that just doesn't want to, who doesn't care about us, who wants to use and abuse us. No, on the contrary, he promises to meet and provide for all our needs generously because this is our God. He's a father who loves us. So his agenda doesn't kind of put us in a place where, look, you just got to do what I say because I have this agenda and, I don't, and, and, and you know, it doesn't matter what happens to you. God cares deeply about his servants, but he expects us to trust him enough to provide for him. God does provide our needs generously, but there is a prerequisite to the promise. Matthew 6, we're familiar with this, verses 31 to 33. Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what are you going to eat? What are we going to drink? What shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. And that comment to me is a huge one. A Gentile is someone who does not have a God to depend on. He has to provide for his own needs, for his own family. He has to take on that responsibility for himself. He he can't look up in God and say, God, would you provide this for me? Believing that God even hears him, never mind loves him. But as disciples of Jesus, as children of God, Jesus says, don't be like that. You have a father who loves you deeply. He goes on to say, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that, in other words, you put God's agenda for your day for your prayer time, first, all these other things shall be added to you. Added. You won't have to sweat for them. The favor will flow. The blessing will flow. And it will be it beyond what you could do because you have no control over it. This is deep faith. And this pushes us. Because sometimes, I'm sure you've experienced this, we, we believe God for something, for a new season, for a measure of grace, and he comes through and we get used to operating in that and our faith is no longer required to do it. We now know how, we've learned, and we become comfortable in it until the next challenge. There's a verse in, this, in, in John where this principle is just on clear display in the life of Jesus. And it's one of my, it's it's a powerful verse, John 17, 19. It's a very challenging verse for me. Jesus is praying to the father and he says for their sake, in other words, for the disciples, for those who will believe in me, I sanctify myself to do your will, not for his sake, not even for the father's sake, although he does it out of obedience, but for their sake, God's going to be fine with or without them, but for their sake, The weak ones, the ones that you've sent me to save, I set myself apart. I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified, set apart, dedicated, made holy in your truth. I am willing to go without. I am willing to sacrifice. I am willing to be inconvenienced. I am willing to pay the price for their sake, for their faith. Folks, you and I are here today because Jesus decided to rend the heavens and come in the form of a baby for your sake and for mine. He laid down his life and shed his blood for your sake and mine. For the love of the Father and for the love of you and I. And this is the very ministry that he calls us into. Folks, this is what it means to be a Christian. He invites us into the same thing. He says... In John 15, verse 4 and 5, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine; you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, that last sentence has been resonating in my heart in a big way over the last few weeks and months over the last few years helen and i have made many new friends our kids make friends at school they want to go to parties we meet the parents or we see them at school days our kids are playing with their kids i want to know these people we get we start relationships we've made a a number of, of friendships and i want to say some of these people I've had conversations with, I've taken them to church. They've attended church for a while. Nah, it wasn't for them. They moved on. No change really took place in their lives. Some of them are going through very messy and ugly divorces. Some of them are going through rehab. Some of them are going also through ugly divorces, really ugly divorces, and with cancer in the mix. We are talking about people, some of them are just indifferent to God. Their marriages are not great, but they don't want to do anything. And I'm realizing that I can love these people and I do. God has given me a deep love for these people and I love them sincerely and I want to be of help. And for some of them, I've spoken to them about God. I've told them about Jesus. But I'm realizing something that despite my best efforts and no matter how much I love them, I am powerless to change their situation. I am powerless to change their hearts. I'm realizing what Jesus meant when he said, without me, you can do nothing. Yeah, you can love them, You can be in their life. You can be a pastor. You can be what none of it matters. You can be their friend. You can walk with them through it as has been on your heart to do and help us. But without the power, without the person of Jesus, nothing's going to change. All you're going to be is a support. All you're going to be is there to hopefully encourage and help with the pain. God didn't call you and I to be anethetists. He called you and I to carry a level of power that when we speak into a situation or when our presence comes into a situation, his power and the kingdom of God creates change. And this is becoming a lot clearer to me now and I'm realizing in a greater measure than I ever have before. The great need that I have for the Holy Spirit and for the presence of God in a new dimension beyond what I've experienced before. And I think that this is what God is saying to us so powerfully. What I know for sure is this in the kingdom of God. The most influential person is the servant, because that is ultimately what Jesus was. It's the one who is willing to serve the agenda of another in the Bible. It's not the big shots with titles. Who have the greatest impact it's the nobodies it's the stuttering man in the backside of the desert it's the guy hiding in the wine press it's the shepherd boy out in the field it's the little boy born in nazareth it's from nazareth born in bethlehem it's it's the obscure peer it's not the high and mighty it's not the kings it's not the the fancy guys in the bible it's the servants who see to the needs of others that are the ones that make the greatest impact They are willing to be obedient to God's voice. Jesus said it this way, the greatest among you, what does he mean by greatest? The one who will have the most impact shall be the servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus himself, Mark 10 45, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is where true greatness of power and influence in the kingdom of God lie. we got some time. I want to share with you one of my favorite stories from the Bible that really just exemplifies the principle I'm laying out for you at the moment. I want you to consider the story of Naaman. Naaman, let me just give you an idea, was the commander of the king of Syria's army. You'll find it in 2 Kings chapter 9. You can go read the whole story. But he was the commander of the king of Syria's army. Uh, Important guy, a heavyweight. But the Bible says of him, he was an honorable man. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So despite all of these things, all these powers, he was a leper. Now his wife had a captive Israeli servant girl who said, and and, and you need to understand this as well. A group of of from Samaria went in, raided parts of Israel. I think it was Jerusalem, and took servants from the people. So these were hostages. These were captive servants. This was a slave, all right. And his wife had an Israeli slave girl who said and heard that you know found that, knew that the master her her master had leprosy, and so said to his wife that there is a prophet of God in Samaria who would be able to heal Naaman of his leprosy. So Naaman Naaman goes, he goes to talk to the king, tells him what his wife's servant has said. So the king of Syria sent him to the king of Israel with a note saying, hey, here's my my commander. He's got leprosy, sort this out. The king of Israel didn't know what to do. He thought this was some kind of plot to overthrow him, some kind of strategy. Uh, But so what he did was he called and sent him to Elisha the prophet. And Sorry, I beg your pardon. Elisha the prophet heard what was going on. So he sent his servant servant, servant um, to go to the king and to go call Naaman. And this is where we, I'm going to pick up the story in 2 Kings 5 verse 9. Naaman went with his horses, with his chariot. He stood at the door of Elisha's house. So Here's the commander riding up with his entourage. He stood at the door of the prophet's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Didn't come out himself saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be, shall be restored to you, and you shall be made clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. not Abana, and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Here's what I love about the story. we got some seriously powerful Influential people in the story. We've got the king of Syria, King of Israel, Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, his wife, clearly noble woman. We've got Elisha, the prophet of God, even Elisha's two I see. But we see that the most influential people in this story were not even mentioned by name. It's the little captive Israeli girl who spoke to her master about her husband. And it's the servant of Naaman who turned the heart of his Lord so that he could receive his healing. Not notable people, not people of great esteem or great, or great authority, but they were the most influential people in the story. Their help and influence determined the course and the outcome of the story. And let's be, let's be clear, they could easily have been indifferent. They were captives. They were slaves. They could have been indifferent easily. They could easily have focused on their own plight. They could easily have focused on the character flaws and the weaknesses of their of, their, of the masters. I mean, name and servants could easily have gone, he deserves it. After ranting and raving like that, he deserves it. But it's clear to me when I read the story that they had made the agenda or the well-being of their broken, sick, entitled, proud, privileged, racist masters, their priority. Incredible. Folks, many of us, many believers have traded the Lordship of Jesus for the Lordship of an agenda. Sometimes we believe this agenda comes from God, but our lives are governed by all the things that we need to do. And those things are determined by what it is that we want to accomplish. Sometimes God has become a point on the agenda rather than the author thereof and truly what i want to just remind us of today is that our maturity is measured by the maturity of our faith the maturity of our character and of our trust in god is measured by our willingness and ability to sacrifice for and serve the needs of others with grace and with patience and this is coming Immature parents are those who put their needs above the needs of their own children. They don't cater. They they splash out on things now and make no provision for their children's education. They couldn't be bothered about having to put in the effort to discipline their children. So they just don't bother. Why? Because it's inconvenient. Because it's difficult. But mature parents make the sacrifice for the sake of their children. They pay the price. They endure the hard times because they love. And the essence of care for the children means that the sacrifice is not burdensome. It's not an obligation, but it's an act of love expressed through servanthood. And this is our motivation. God so loved the world that, he's, that, that he made it his priority. He served its needs. He met us where we could not do what needed to be done. God is raising up a generation that needs spiritual fathers and mothers. They need those who've gone ahead. Listen, you don't have to be old to be a spiritual father or or a You don't need to be old a, a Christian for 20 years to lead somebody to the Lord. All you need to be is one step ahead. If you have Jesus, you're one step ahead of somebody who doesn't. If you have Jesus and you've learned how to pray, you're one step ahead of somebody who's just come into the kingdom. If you have Jesus and you know how to pray, and you know how to study the word. You're one step, step you step. You get what I'm saying. You always have something to teach and to share and to impart to somebody else. Don't play yourself down because you don't have a title. Don't play yourself down or doubt your abilities because you're not a pastor or because you don't have this calling into the ministry. Every one of us are called to minister and to shine the light of God and to be the salt and the difference in the situations he places us in. We all have something to share and to contribute. But here's what I'm wanting to say. This is what's so strong in my heart right now. Without him, we can do nothing. So he's calling us to do more, but he's calling us into the realization that without him, we can do nothing. And so these two messages need to marry in that place of intimacy, in that John 15 Embrace of being in the vine and the vine being in us, where the life flow of the sap of God is flowing into and through us, so that His life and the power of His Spirit is at work, not just bringing transformation in our lives, so that we move from having a form of godliness, but also. We move into a realm and into a place where the effectiveness and the power of that transformation is at work, not just in us, in our attitudes, in our emotions, in our affections, but through us and into the lives of others. God has called us to a life of commitment and sacrifice for the purposes of his agenda. Any other message is not the Christian message. To say Jesus died for you to save you is true, but that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. What has he saved us for? He's got an agenda. And we ought to be grateful for how far God has brought us and we need to give thanks to him for that, but also mindful that there is plenty more to come. Be excited. Be expectant. And make the necessary preparations so that when the time comes, we are not caught by surprise. The Lord is moving. the Spirit is at work. Let us engage. Let us catch the fire. Let us be inspired so that that which we do is not born of self-effort or guilt or compulsion, but is the overflow of what it means to, to be led by the Spirit, learning how to flow with Him, as Eugene Peterson says, flowing in the unforced rhythms of grace. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that when you look upon us with great love, You also do so with great expectation. I want to thank you that every one of us here today is brimming with potential. Potential to love. Potential to heal. Potential to restore and to set free. Potential to raise and to grow and to work with and to walk with. Potential to sow seeds. Potential to water seeds. Potential to bring in a harvest. Potential to bring you great glory. Father, I want to thank you for a sense of expectation and anticipation that you're putting in our hearts for this time and season, that there is more to come, that there are wonderful things brewing in the spirit, that there is an outpouring coming and a revival coming, the likes of which we have never seen. And Lord, we don't want to be onlookers, sitting on the side, looking on. We want to be in. We want to be a part of. We want to be the conduits of what you want to do in this earth. And Father, though we know there's sacrifice and cost involved, we say, yes, Lord, gladly, not of, out of compulsion, not with a heavy heart, but gladly we want to do what is required. And so I want to thank you tonight, Father, for your word that says that you work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. Father, I pray that you'd help us to examine how we go about our days. What is our agenda and who is setting it? Are you just a point on the agenda or are you the one drawing it up? And As we evaluate these things, my Lord God, as we begin to question and re-evaluate, as we take stock and as we make preparations and plans, Father, would, would you draw us very near to your heart that we may hear your heartbeat, that we may hear and feel the breath of God upon us. That we may allow your power to do in us what you desire to do so that you can do through us what you desire to do we are your vessels you are the potter mold us and make us father as you desire for your glory and for your purposes we pray in jesus wonderful name amen thank you for listening to this message for additional resources or more information about this ministry come and visit us at alpha omega int dot org dot ZA